0: Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. It is on the beat, live. It is the game plan, live. It is Wednesday night, 8 o'clock. If you're joining us on YouTube, the live stream, we'll be here all night. I'm only half joking. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. on the beat live and with the game plan that means we've got the usuals myself Tommy Ashley Gregory Hall and Greg Barnes but given that we're gonna kick a little basketball knowledge since we are here still can't believe college basketball started last night we've got Sherelle McMillan and for the expertise on everything I think the uh, inside Carolina live button is the best I wish I had I am the smartest man alive Jason Staples has joined us We're going to talk basketball first in the first half of this show. Plenty of questions from folks on inside Carolina message boards, plenty of Twitter information and all, but I'm going to, I'm going to start first with Greg Barnes, Greg. Y'all asked Hubert Davis, a lot of questions about going into it and his first game and all that. He said last week or pre Elizabeth city, I believe that he was comfortable, completely comfortable. He's been around it forever. Um, literally, but it's different from being the suggester from the decider. And now Hubert's the decider. How do you think he – how do you think he's really doing and how do you think he did in his first game against Loyola?
1: Yeah, I don't doubt at all that that Hubert Davis is comfortable. And as you said, this is a guy that uh, had a successful career at Carolina, played in the NBA for a long time. So he's been on the big stage. He understands media. I mean, he worked at ESPN for a number of years. He has been on the bench alongside of Roy Williams. Uh, so so he, he understands. He's been in big moments. So I completely believe him when he says he's comfortable. That being said, uh, this is his first head coaching job. And it just so happens to be at one of the blue-blooded programs in the country, right? Uh, one, one of the biggest. And our, you know, some people would say the biggest. And so there's going to be a microscope on him and his coaching decisions this year. And so I, I thought everything he did was fine on uh, Tuesday night and it'll probably be fine on Friday against Brown and even next Tuesday in Charleston. But I think the game against Purdue uh, will tell us a lot because he's going to be pushed. He's, he's going to be put in the uh, situations where there's adversity, where he's got to make unique decisions on the fly he's just never had to do that before. You know. I kind of pushed him on it a little bit when he was a little bit dismissive um, before the, the game of the day. And he said, well, you know, JV team gave me some opportunities to make those decisions. They did for sure. But that's the JV team. Um, it's a completely different animal of what he's doing right now. So has he done everything he needs to do up to this point? Yes. I, I think we can all agree on that. Um, and this is going to be fun to watch. We, we've talked about it before seeing how he adjusts and seeing he, he's got a lot of good pieces on this team, on this roster, how he adjusts, how he manages egos, how he manages you know, family members and, and people in their crews. Uh, all those things are going to be new to him. And so it, it's going to be very unique and, and interesting to watch all this play out over the course of the next couple of months.
0: Sherelle, first question that I got, first question within minutes of tip was what?
2: Why is, Lee, why is the Q black starting <laughs>
0: exactly <laughs> i probably had four texts i didn't even have to look at him i was like already start we were yeah. sitting at
1: the game we're like is he really doing this is he really doing
3: this <laughs> greg yeah. greg walked up at 650 tip at seven um the starting lineup got posted on stat broadcast kind of as greg was as was walking up and he got up there and i was like you see this i just tweeted i just tweeted out the starting lineup I just can not believe that Leaky was in there. But two shot attempts on the night, and he played well, all things considered.
2: Yeah. You know, what would you think, Sherell? I guess I have to resume my, like, Leaky defense position that I had all of last year. Um, I, I didn't know I was going to have to do that so early. But, um, you know, we didn't know when we talked in the offseason that Hubert Davis had this plan in his mind that he was going to, you know, rotate the starting lineup based upon the previous game's defensive player of the game. Um, that was something I don't think we heard, Greg, until the press conference. Was that Tuesday or Wednesday yeah. or Monday? I can't remember what day it is. Monday. Monday. <clears throat> so that changes things a little bit because if there is one thing that you know that Leaky Black has the capability to do at a very high level, it's you know kind of be a pest defensively uh, with his length and with his athleticism on the wing. Um, and for other players at that position, that might not be their strength, just like for Leaky, shooting the ball right now and scoring isn't his strength. Uh, so it seems that Hubert Davis has at least initially prioritized you know defensive prowess at the wing over uh, the same offensively in the starting lineup. whether that continues for the rest of the season, we'll see. Um, but you know once he kind of said that and he mentioned the stops in the exhibition game in the second half, it started you started to put putting, putting the pieces together like oh he's he's gonna start leaky tonight, which is which is again is fine. Uh, you know I think you um, Something we talked about in the offseason, Tommy and Greg, was that when you have a shooter at the four, um, you know, you have still three shooters on the floor. So you still have your one, Love, who we thought would be a better shooter. Your two, Davis, who we think is a solid shooter. And now, as opposed to maybe someone like Walker Kessler or Dayron Sharp or Garrison Brooks there, you have a Dawson Garcia or a Brady Manic who can step out and shoot the three, which frees Licky up from some of that offensive responsibility that he may be fairly or unfairly uh, was shouldering the last couple of seasons. So when you have three guys who can shoot outside of your three, then that frees him up to do some of the things that he's really good at.
4: It's not like this team's going to be short on offense based on, based on some of the guys they're trotting out there with him anyway. Like it, it, exactly.
0: And that's the thing, and I was going to run in with this, is that it frees Leakey to be the, the Ginyard type player or the Pinson-type player where you don't have to be a scorer, um, you know, I think he made one thing I did tweet and Greg Schrell whoever wants to jump in, is Carolina's got shooters all over the court now. Um, the problem is, is they're going to need somebody to get in the lane and be able to get in the lane inside a zone or inside beat man to man and kick it. Greg, who is that person here? I, I mean, Caleb Love, I thought he looked really good last night. He didn't look great against Elizabeth City. Um, So who's the guy that consistently can break down their man off the dribble? I don't know if that's leaky, but he did it a couple times. I liked it. Um, But where does that come from on this roster?
1: Yeah, it's got to be Caleb. Uh, Caleb is the best athlete on the team, I think. I don't think there's – I'd be curious to see if anybody on this panel uh, disagrees with me there. But he's got the skill set. He has the size. He has the speed to be able to get into the paint. Uh, it's going to be a process for him. I mean, it just seems like uh, when you look at him and Anthony Harris and R.J. Davis, Anthony Harris just has like kind of a, a different uh, feel for, for how to pass and how to find his teammates, especially on penetration. Uh, he just made some really good passes in the exhibition game where you're like, wow, like we haven't seen Caleb or R.J. make those kind of passes. Uh, and so that's something that Caleb and R.J. both have to get better at both feeding guys on the block and being able to, to kick out for this offense to way to work the way that Hubert Davis wants it to, that has to occur. Uh, because if there's not a lot of concern about the kickouts, well that changes things dramatically. So I, I think those guys for sure, but yeah, I mean, Leakey, not that he's quite the same player of a Theo Penson because Theo was so dynamic, um, but kind of the same idea of, if you got a, you know, a third guy out there that can facilitate it changes everything. And I, I think your point about there being so many offensive weapons, um, I think is valid because a couple of times in recent years, people were looking at Leaky saying, well, this team can't score. So why is the guy that can't score on the floor? And it was a legitimate complaint, but Leaky does so many other things really well. Uh, you can't really punish him for not being an offensively elite guy. And so if there's other guys like a manic and a Walton out there that can score, then he can really flourish in doing some things behind the scenes. Um, And so, again, this is one of those things that Hubert has to work through to make sure he gets his rotations exactly right.
0: Gregory, to Jason's point, um, and and to build off Greg's, I mean, he doesn't have to score. He's going to need to rebound for this team because I think rebounding is something we'll talk about all, all forever watching this team play. Um, but Gregory, your thoughts, not just on the starting lineup deal, which I freely admit was a shock. And obviously it was a shock for everybody. Um, but leaky's role, I mean, he's a senior at this point, every team needs that guy just to do whatever's necessary to win. Is it leaky on this team this year? Looking
3: at that starting lineup, um, RJ, I guess, presumably was at the one, I mean, him and Kayla, but RJ played more of a point role than, and Caleb did, and then you've got Caleb, and then you had, I guess Leaky at the three, and then Manic and Baycott. Leaky's right there in the middle to f- distribute and facilitate to all four of those guys. Um, and Caleb yesterday was more of a scorer than he was a distributor. I mean, yeah, he had two assists, but one of which was just a little handoff to Brady Manic under under the rim um, that Brady put up for an easy two, and one was a nice find in the corner, I believe, to Dawson. Um, But I think you look at minutes-wise, right? Because, yes, the starting lineup's important. um, And I think it really has to do with just the five guys playing together that Hubert talks about, like, rotation-wise. But, like, Curran Wallen still played 27 minutes. Dawson Garcia played 29. And Leakey played 21, right? So I think it's just who Leakey's out there on the floor with matters. Um, And I did think it was interesting that you still have Leakey, Caleb, and RJ out there together because all three are – legitimate ball handlers. So I thought that part was interesting, not necessarily leaky starting, although I did think that was interesting as well, but just more who he's out there on the floor with. But if he's going to play 21 minutes, lead the team in plus minus at 25, only get two shot attempts up, one of which is an alley-oop, finished with four rebounds, four assists to one turnover. He's not doing anything to hurt the team. He's doing everything to help the team. And I think if he does, if his shot attempt numbers do go up, then based on what we've seen with his scoring ability recently, that would be, at least in my opinion, considered hurting the team, which he didn't do yesterday at all. So I think that's something to look at
4: moving forward. You know, I I, I also wonder so historically, you think about the way that that Roy always approached this the the early parts of seasons where he always built into seasons and sort of learned his team and let his team learn each other in their roles. I wonder how much Hubert's going to do some similar things in this, uh, in, in his approach, in the sense of everything is building towards March and he's willing to experiment a little bit and figure out which matchup combinations actually work for, for whatever. Curious as to what you guys, especially uh, Greg and Rel, what you guys think about, uh, about, that angle of things. Cause again, looking at, looking at Roy's history, I would imagine that that's something that, um, that Hubert took some notes on previously. Go ahead, Rail,
2: <laughs> Rail, you go ahead. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I still think it's too early to tell um, just from the three kind of games, the, the secret scrimmage, the exhibition and yesterday, I see more of a guy who wants to make sure that the people who are going to be running his system the most, understand it you know completely so i see more of uh to use a football example what jay Bateman does with his inside linebackers um and that they don't come off the field because they're very very important um i see that with his core kind of seven or eight guys um you know again speculating because he's never been a head coach before so we don't know what he's going to do in the rest of these games but it seems like he wants eight guys lathered up and ready to go and uh, who are dependable and then he'll kind of rotate in that ninth or 10th guy as needed um, but it, it seems pretty clear to me so far um, who the, the the top eight kind of are and he's going to ride those guys and make sure that they understand that they're used to playing together any combination of those eight guys are used to playing together um, and they can run a system to you know the way he wants it so that it, it seems like that's the way it's headed right now
1: yeah I think the fact that he's got so many new pieces as well, especially with the grad transfers, uh, that he's going to have to see how they perform on the court. It's one thing to watch him in practice. Uh, but he's got time. The interesting thing will be how important are those first couple big games because you're know, after this first three-game stretch, I mean, things get real quick. I mean, Purdue's going to be a potential Final Four team. Villanova is up there. Michigan's going to be a top-10 team. UCLA, what's number two now? Um, Virginia Tech's going to be really good. And all those games were before you know, January 1st. So what value does he place on saying, that? okay, look, this is my opportunity to show that I can coach, and he really tries to win, or he goes through this process and has patience? Um, I, go I, ahead, I don't,
2: I don't think he has – a. I don't think he has – I don't think they have the luxury of patience this year. Um, Just, I agree Coppa's, with you just because, you know, again, decisions are coming later in the year, but this team is only going to look like this team this season because Brady man, going to be gone. You know, there are multiple guys who have NBA aspirations, the transport portal is out there. Um, so you have to kind of get this team together and ready to go. Cause you know, you've got five new guys um, who really haven't played together. You're integrating into a new system with a new coach, with a new staff. So there's not, you know roy had the ultimate in not only job security but in style security he had decades upon decades of equity kind of built up and, and hubert doesn't have that right now and so i think he has to throw caution to the wind and he has to go out and try to win every single game he doesn't have time to kind of you know um play around for lack of a better phrase i don't mean that you know in a bad way uh the way coach williams was able to in the preseason and exhibition experiment. season, early season experiment thank you Experiment. Yeah. Right. yeah to experiment. This, is not a pro- this
0: is not a program build
4: and i do right. i do wonder you know you said it you said a mouthful in you know t- two words just with transfer portal and how much that has that changed the game for roy at the very end and how much this has changed the way that coaches kind of have to think about that moving forward because with the transfer before the transfer portal, I think you could do more experimenting and build in and, you know, kind of build your teams year to year differently with the transfer portal. I think you're right. Rel, that it that you're, you're basically in a, in a constant, I better win now because this is not the same team I'm going to have next year. Every team's going to be different every year because you're always going to be active in the transfer portal and guys who aren't, aren't perfectly happy one year are not going to be there the next year for you. So I do, I do think actually that's something that, that, you know, actually Hubert's probably better equipped in that regard to be able to, uh, to plan for that in some ways, just uh, uh, personality wise. But like you said, he doesn't have the same luxury of, you know, decades of equity. So, but yeah, that, the the portal really impacts a lot there and how coaches have to plan now.
1: Yeah, and I was watching the game last night thinking, okay, Manic's probably going to be gone after this year. Um, Garcia's probably gone. Baycott's gone. Caleb Love's probably gone. And I'm thinking, okay, well, signing days tomorrow, they're going to have four good pieces in, but can those guys go from day one? And I was like, wait a minute. Hubert already said he likes the transfer portal. So who's to say that he doesn't have three more guys, just like the ones that he, they signed this summer. So, yeah, I, I agree it's going to be a complete – uh, system shock, I think, for, for North Carolina fans. Uh, as a basketball traditionalist, that bothers me a little bit because I've really enjoyed the process of having a freshman come in and getting to know them, getting to watch them develop over a course of four years. I think those days are done. I mean, you may have a few guys that come in and, and remain, but that's not going to be the bulk of these teams. It's not going to be Tyler Hansbrough. Um, the other thing, though, we talked about Leaky Black being the surprise in the rotation uh Rel mentioned there being eight guys that that hubert appears to like early on there's really only seven that he's leaned on in the exhibition game and then in the opener justin mccoy has not gotten a lot of minutes um and we know this offseason we heard a lot of good things about him what they liked but he has just not gotten the same amount of numbers of uh, minutes and i know he got 10 minutes the other night but a lot of those were very late um, and so that's, that that shocked me probably as much as Leakey starting.
2: I wonder I if that's just –
0: I don't agree with that.
2: I don't, I don't think it shocked me. Go ahead, Rev. I wonder if that's just a positional thing because, you know, sure. three, three of your five best players are, are your three bigs, are Garcia, Manic, and, and Baycott. And then the question has always been with McCoy is, you know, is he fast enough, athletic enough to defend threes and, and play the three? And I think we're getting the answer to that question because Leakey – is playing maybe a little bit more than, than people expected, still getting his 20 minutes a game. And Walton has essentially moved down and played more of his minutes at the three than he did last year. I don't know if he played any at the three last year. If he did, it was very sparingly. Um, so I think I think Hubert Davis kind of answered the question of, of what he thinks about McCoy's ability at the three. Now, we are drawing a lot of conclusions from, you know, <laughs> a scrimmage, an exhibition in one game. But I do think you can start to see the kind of um, – you know, the, the little pieces start to come together. So, and Tommy, real quick, one thing I like to do, I always like to go back to what we were thinking after the first game of the season. So go back two years ago to Cole Anthony's first game. We were like, oh man, Cole's, he's going to be phenomenal, but man, he's going to have to carry a heavy burden and they cannot afford for him to have to score 30 points a night and scoring is going to be issue for this team. So while you didn't know the end result, you knew that scoring probably would be an issue for that team. Right. I think that's fair. Sure. So and Brandon Robinson was out of that first game. So, you know, just to note. But still, we, we kind of understood um, last year. We were like, man, they've got some good pieces, but we just don't know how they fit together. Like after the I think they played calls to Charleston the first game last year. Um, the guards were inefficient. Um, there wasn't a turn a, a bunch of turnovers, but the guards were inefficient and they didn't shoot well from three. And the pits, the pieces didn't fit together. So even after that first game, you kind of knew, you're like, man, it's, it's going to be weird trying to piece this thing together. I didn't have any alarm bells go off uh, last night. I didn't see any, anything that was, you know, just flashing lights saying, okay, watch out for that. That's not great. There were some things that they could do better, but I didn't see any glaring, huge weaknesses like we've seen in the past couple of teams. So I'm just interested in what y'all think about that.
3: I thought when Armando came out with foul trouble that we were going to see some of those alarms start to go off. And maybe for a little bit, Loyola made it to like a nine-point game. But then UNC, I think it, that was more just UNC. I think, Greg, you tweeted out the word lackadaisical. And they were just kind of like going through the motions, doing their thing. And they were like, okay, let's start playing. And then they went up to 20 real quick. And then – so that's when Armando came out. I was like, okay, let's see – things are starting things are starting to get not great here but then it wasn't an issue at all um so I definitely agree with that role I thought yes there are some things that this team can get better at and I think they need to find out each other's role um like I mean yes Dawson Garcia had 12 points and nine rebounds but like there were at times when you could tell that he was trying to make things happen that he didn't necessarily need to do because that's what he needed to do last year. And he doesn't need to do that this year with this team. So if Hubert can coach them up and kind of get the chemistry factor, um, going well, then yeah, based on what I saw last night, no alarms.
0: That, if, if, we, talked chem- no, well, I, we talked about the uh, Well, we talked about one of these podcasts that chemistry and keeping guys happy is going to be Hubert's biggest challenge. And, you know, Greg, to your point earlier, I don't like how it's a different roster every year. And we used to talk and Carolina fans would talk bad about Duke because you had to learn the Duke players every November and you still do. But Carolina's getting to be that point now. But I think Hubert's biggest deal, and I'd be interested in to revisit this podcast in a week, a month and at the end of the season, um, because I think it may look significantly different. But I, I just think Hubert's biggest challenge to me is figuring out a way to organize playing time and everything in a coherent manner that produces the best results. And we're talking about minutes played. Well, Baycott played 18. There's not going to be a game that Baycott plays just 18 minutes without foul trouble or injury all season, I would think, right? I mean, Greg, you agreed it because he's going to play more than 18 minutes if he's able, um, healthy and not in foul trouble. So I think you have to start redistributing minutes there. But anyway, I just think chemistry and managing is, going, is Hubert's most overarching thing this season um, going forward.
1: Yeah, and I just want to throw this in as a nattering nabob of negativity.
0: Um, <laughs> but
1: uh, Loyola Maryland was picked – Eighth in the Patriot league and UNC outscored them by one point over the final 35 minutes and 16 seconds. So.
0: There it lies folks, Greg Barnes with the (laughs) rain on your parade.
1: Carolina came out the way (laughs) Carolina came out with energy and they were hyped and they were aggressive defensively and they were attacking offensively. I was thinking, okay, if this is how they're going to play, uh, we're dealing with something. And then after they got that big lead, they like relaxed. And I mean, the rest of the game, they looked really bad coming out of the second half. And then Brady Manick had a couple good possessions on both ends. that kind of got them fired up. And I think Caleb did a three. And then they were able to put together a quick little run to put the game away, but it's not like they were playing a really good team. Um, and so, you know, again, his first game as a coach, a lot of these guys first time playing together it's going to take some time, but I mean, this is far from the finished product.
0: They could have lost, like Virginia, though. Ooh, the man didn't. uh, A couple of teams got blitzed. I mean, um, right? I, I mean,
3: I'm, but yes, yeah. your, you're well,
2: right. ACC Coach of the Year Josh Pastner lost his first game. ACC that, reigning champion. Isn't that an annual tradition, though? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> and then they wouldn't went <laughs> be Kentucky last year after the same thing. Yeah. So, so it, it could have been better. It could have been, have better, been, could been worse.
0: So, I mean, you play to win the game, but Sherelle, uh, I think we'll go back and forth on Garcia or Manic starting at the four, but I don't, I think I love Manic's game. Uh, What'd you see from him that maybe you didn't know? And if you watched any Oklahoma last year in the past four years, you saw Manic had, I mean, that dude's just a player. What'd you see,
2: Sherelle? Yeah, a, a lot to like. Um, you know, again, we're going to have to figure out the defensive grading system and, and, and try to understand that to see who's going to be in the starting lineup. So, you know, all this, honestly, all the starting lineup talk is moot until we learn, you know, how they grade out film and, and and that process, because it could be that Brady Manick grades out terribly, you know, defensively after this game, and he's not going to start against um, uh, against Brown, or, or it could be a situation where he was better than we thought. And he's, you know, he's in the starting lineup again. I, I, I don't know. So that, that's something we're all going to have to get used to and learn together. But to answer your question um, he did more on the block than I was expecting, especially in the absence of Armando Baycott. Um, you know, when he was in foul trouble, he had a couple of really nice spin moves. He had a hook over his shoulder. Um, he had a little runner in the lane. You know, I, I don't want to go to the immediate scouting uh rhetoric and call him a three level score or anything, but he showed that he can score, you know, he had the, the three of the first possession, um, which again, Carolina has had an exhibition game and um, one regular season game. And the irony is that the first shot in each game was by a transfer and it was a three. Um, so I think it's just like ushering the new era in completely. Uh, but yeah, he, he can score out to the three point line. Um, you know, I, in the post, he, he scored really well. Defensively, I still kind of have questions there. Heber Davis has said he thinks he can switch um, from the one through five. Uh, I still need to see more, um, but he seemed like a solid rebounder. I, I just overall, he's just a good player, man. And he's a great fit beside Armando Baycott. And I think it's pretty clear, as we said earlier, that Garcia, Manic, and Baycott, you know, you can put that front line against almost anyone. I mean, they're really, really good.
0: Gregory, uh, Justin McCoy, people are asking a lot about it. Let's talk about him a little bit. I, I don't know if Leakey's going to be the guy. I think McCoy gets lost, right? I mean, there's only so minute, so many minutes at that position. Um, so uh, you know, is is it a Leakey or McCoy thing, or or how do they coexist um, where both get plenty of minutes? I think Leakey's going to get the majority of them.
3: Yeah, and I, I think naturally that makes sense starting out if they're going to play a similar role. I do think Justin can has the potential to be a better scorer than Leaky. But if you don't need an extra scorer and you need someone that needs to be better defensively, um, and needs to make the make some intelligent plays and whatnot. Um, I think Justin's just going to have to prove that he can kind of that he can do those things. Um, and so I think that'll be interesting to play out. I don't necessarily think that it's really a leaky or a justin discussion i think like i said earlier it really has to do with the other four guys on the court um and i know justin didn't play what i mean what he played here like uh he had played 10 minutes yeah um he got to the free throw line once he got a rebound he had an assist he committed two fouls he did have one of the six offensive rebounds um so it'll just he just kind of needs to prove himself in those small minutes that he needs that he's going to do what he's asked to do, which is crash the boards offensively, um, and play stout defense. And I am mean, curious to see the game notes coming out ahead of Brown on Friday. If I mean, in the past, the defensive player of their game has been listed in the game notes. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that's still the case moving forward, considering Hubert's, um we talking about defense and starting rotation, starting lineups and whatnot, but I am curious to see how those guys grade it go. Those guys grade out. And I guess, well, in the past, we've only seen the one defensive player of the game. We haven't seen everyone's grades, but still, um, if that's what Justin's role is going to be as far as battling minutes with Leakey and then yeah, Leakey has the upper hand right now as Justin kind of gets acclimated.
0: Greg is the, is the love and Davis on the court at the same time. Is that, is that doable all season? Um, because then you need to have, and, Rail, you can chime in too, you need to have a backup lead guard. I got that right, Sherelle. Uh, you know, if RJ and Caleb are going to be out there, they play 31-23 minutes, they started together. I mean, is that going to be a Hubert thing? It's certainly good for ball handling. It, it squeezes out um, a guy like Kerwin Walton. Um, it squeezes his minutes a little bit, I think, at least with both of those guys out there. How you see that playing out? And also on the defensive end, people talk about it. I think we mentioned RJ is going to guard the other opposing point guard. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think RJ guards the smaller of the two guards for them. How does that work when those two guys are out there?
1: Yeah, that's probably the case, just because Caleb you know, has good size and athleticism, so he, he can probably cover the more dynamic, bigger – uh, other guard. But I really think what this gets down to is, you know, do you put your best five on the court or do you put the lineup on the court to structure it in the way that's most efficient? Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, you've got two guys that can play point guard and Cove love and, and RJ Davis. Who's your third option. If both those guys were on the court at the same time. And right now it's Anthony Harris. And I think he can handle it in spot minutes and Leaky can facilitate as well, you really don't have a true uh, third option at point. And when you're playing your two point guards together quite a bit, it creates a strange dynamic. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why why Roy leaned on Walton at the two last year, so that RJ could come in and replace Caleb and it was not that big of a deal. Yes, they played a little bit together. Um, but that's one of the things that, that Hubert has to figure out. And as they get into games where they're playing better opponents we'll get to see because i mean caleb played what 31 minutes last night and he played close to 30 he played 18 minutes in the first half in the exhibition game which seemed like a lot and rj played 17 minutes um i understand the tinkering around but when you're playing a team like purdue or villanova or michigan i mean do you really want to count on caleb and rj to have to play you have know, 30 35 minutes Maybe maybe Hubert's fine with that. We'll have to wait and see, but those are kind of some of the things that are that are interesting. Roy Williams had no interest in playing his guys <laughs> over 30 minutes this time of year, right? Never. Maybe no. as you got close to March, but not this time of year.
3: Sherelle,
0: or, oh, sorry. Let me ask Sherelle the big question, and it's, it's sort of ingested. Uh, did Hubert try to get the wrong – Walker to stay at Carolina <laughs> did y'all see I saw Walker Miller's yeah. yeah. good gracious go ahead Gregory
3: <laughs> um I was just gonna say looking at um Kim Palms the kind of like most frequent lineups used from last night and Greg I know you kept track of the lineups during the game um but just looking as far as percentage wise um obviously the two most common used, the most common used 18% of the time per Ken Palm was Caleb, Kerwin, Leaky Brady, and Dawson because of Armando's foul trouble. Um, but then it said, it, Justin played the small forward position 20% of the time compared to Leakey playing at 53% and Kerwin playing at 21%. And Kerwin played, Kerwin and Caleb split playing the two not 47-47. So I think that was interesting. And we, we saw that from Caleb, right? I mean, like I said earlier, the two assists, Um, but as far as looking at who played together, I mean, it's weird not seeing Armando's name up here a lot just because, um, foul trouble. So I don't take a lot of stock into that. Um, but when talking about, um, Caleb, RJ and Kerwin, I think Caleb's time spent at the shooting guard is interesting compared to RJ's. Um, and I think RJ can make better decisions than Caleb because I think Caleb still is shot. Like um score first which is fine if he plays like he did last night um I mean that was only the second his second ever game without a turnover right and the only other one was Wisconsin at the end of the season last year um so just something to watch moving forward as far as who's playing where and how often rather than just where, where they're playing
2: that's two in a row Gregory two in a row and no turnovers for Caleb there's your headline. Positivity There's pod. one
3: way to look at it. There you positivity go. Positivity pod. <laughs> yeah, positivity pod. <laughs> that simmering optimism from Sherelle that somebody <laughs> asked for.
0: Uh, Sherelle always brings the um, realism, the optimism, but coupled with a smooth delivery that everybody believes is true. I mean, everybody just believes Sherelle. So I'm going to ask you, Sherelle, how much Yikes. did we actually learn from Tuesday night about this basketball team?
2: Uh, I'm I'm of I'm the belief that you can't really learn a team – until about 15 games, 10, 15 games. So like I said, you can, you can note stuff down and say, hmm, you know, I think that might be an issue or hmm, I think that might be a strength, but you can't really call it that until you get a, a, a more of a body of work. I think the thing is you can kind of uh, take from it, uh, the rotation part. Uh, I think we've seen enough now to know that Hubert Davis probably isn't going to do what his predecessor did and, and go 12 deep Um, you know, in November and early December in some of these games. um, I think we're going to see guys playing, you know, heavier minutes than we're used to, uh, to Greg's point. You just never would have seen Tyler Hansborough playing 31 minutes against uh, Lowell Maryland on November 10th, you know, 10 years ago or 12 years ago, just never would have happened because that's just not how Roy Williams got down. Um, But to, again, to all everything we're saying is there's a sense of urgency Um, that is kind of hanging over the season because of the transfer portal, because it's Hubert Davis's first year, because some guys who probably thought they were going to be in the NBA this year um, aren't and want to be in there next year. So you've got all that stuff working together. And so you just don't have time um, to really uh, uh, vet guys and get guys, you know, 10 minutes or 12 minutes in a semi-important game. I, I just don't think you're going to see that happen. So I think you learn that. I think you learned that this is going to be a better shooting team um, than, you know, years past. I think the exhibition game, they were nine for 21 from three, and then they were like 37, 38% um, last night. So that's, I mean, that is light years ahead of where they were, I also think we'll see that they're not going to be the uh, rebounding machine that we have come to know and love over the last, you know, 25, 30 years of Carolina basketball, because they're playing, you know, a much different style. Um, So they were still plus seven, so plus 21 in the exhibition on the boards, plus seven against uh, little Maryland. But um, we're not going to see those numbers where, you know, Carolina has more offensive rebounds than the other team has total rebounds. That's not going to happen anymore, I don't think, just because of the style. Um, So those are things I think you can take away um, and that there has been some growth from players. I I think you can you can note all those things. And then that uh, Garcia and Manic are legit like dudes who can play.
0: Greg, I put it in the slack. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance. How many times did Carolina shot over 50% from the field for a game in the last two seasons? The
1: last two seasons. Well, wow. um, hang on. Let's see. I can tell you last year. I don't have the previous year in front of me. They didn't shoot over 50% last year until uh, the NC State game, which was in January. Uh, let's see. Two, three. Four, five, six, six times last year, they shot over 50%.
0: Five times the year before that. So 11, the last two years, So 11 times in the last two years, Carolina basketball shot over 50% when I was watching this game and I had the stats up, I was paying attention to that number and that for whatever reason has been just because there were years that Carolina would shoot 50% um, or better for the season.
3: He did it, it 10 years.
0: times in the year before that. Yeah, so it's just uh, – it, it's been an interesting thing. And if they're going to shoot threes like they're going to, uh, my takeaways is I love Brady Manick as a player. Um, I think he's the best player on the team. I'll go ahead and say it. As far as all-around skill level. Prove me wrong, and, and that means Carolina's has had a real good year this year. Um, Sherelle, you always bring it. any last takeaways before we uh, sort of transition to the football side of things since we are doing a sort of a hybrid show here. G- give us something that we can uh, go on and run with until Carolina plays Brown and then gets deep into the schedule.
2: I-, I told you I'm just here for Narduzzi's quarters. I want to learn more from that from from Jason. So that, that's why I'm here. Um, now, but on, on a serious note, I think uh, on the basketball side, you can take away that they are going to still play Carolina basketball. Um, I know it looked different, but there was still a lot of similar stuff. I I saw Adrian um, Atkinson kind of tweeting over the last couple of days, the exhibition and last night, just that there were some of the same sets. Um, So it is what it was advertised as so far, which was a tweak or a renovation. Um, So for those who um, thought this was going to be a complete teardown, it's not that, it's just kind of a, a slight change. I think that you have that to look forward to, um, you know, Caleb love looked good. You know, I know he only had two assists, but there were a couple that were in the hands of bigs that should have been, you know, we'll call them potential assists that should have been assist. So I think probably if you count potential assists, he was more, you know, five to zero assist to turnover ratio. I mean, that's, that's great for him. Uh, but, you know, I, I told y'all, I, I think this team has a ton of talent. It's just a matter of jailing. So I hope we'll get to see more Armando Baycott on Friday. Um, I hope we'll get to see um, Leaky Black continue to kind of grow. You talked about roles earlier, Gregory. You know, I, let me ask you this before we close. Let me. Um, so I'm a segue. Who on the team looked like they knew what their role was? 100 percent completely bought in. They knew what they were supposed to be doing. Brady. Who else? And Caleb. Anybody else? Bacon. Leaky. I, I, I'm. I, I was. I'm leading you to Leaky. Yeah. So I think Leaky is is one of the players who who 100 had a conversation with Hubert Davis. And that's something we've talked about with him for the last three years is what do you want him to do? Have you made that clear? Has it been communicated? Do you want him to be a one? Do you want him to be a three? Do you want him to be a backup one? Do you want him to spend some time at the four? Do you want him to be a two? Like just pick one and then say, go, you know, settle into that role and do this thing. And it feels like there was a concerted effort um, from Leakey to move the ball around, to get into the paint and to dish. And, you know, people forget, he came to Carolina as a point guard and Ro Williams told him he was going to have a chance at a point guard and it just didn't work out. And that's how he kind of ended up on the wing. Um, so he does have some passing skills. So I think you, you saw that come out a little bit in that game. Um, so I'm, I'm rambling now, but I think those are some of the things that are our key takeaways is that there is a role for Leaky, whether people like it or not. Curran Walton was at 50% from three, just like we thought it would be. Um, and then they have, you know, I would say, six seven really really good players who i think you can put up with uh, against anyone in the country
3: i wanted to bring this up earlier um you mentioned uh hubert davis not really having any time here um and so since mac when matt came back the excitement around that hire so this is kind of my basketball to football segue here when mac was hired The excitement around that we people knew that it wasn't going to happen in year one, but thought it was going to happen like this year. And maybe we were obviously we were obviously all premature in that, but just comparing the excitement levels to the Mac hire versus the Hubert hire. Now that we've seen this team play, how do you think they compare and is it even is it even right to compare them considering expectations in each of their each of those head coaches first Season because I think the expectations for this team are fairly higher, even though Mac took over a not so good basketball team or a football team, and Hubert took over a sh- struggling Carolina team's the last two years. Everyone open to anybody.
2: <laughs> That's a loaded question, man. You gotta so it a va- is good. it a valid it's, comparison it's, or no? It's uh, it's a good question. I I, I would say, um, and. I follow Carolina football very closely. So, but y'all are the experts on that. So I'll defer to you if I say anything wrong. But, you know, offensively, I think Carolina football just needed a trigger man offensively. Like that was the issue. Just Fedora over his last couple of years had failed to really recruit the quarterback position well. We saw what, you know, what happened when you put a, a NFL kind of ready quarterback in there with the players that Fedora had already recruited. His issue was that defensively, uh, to use Jason's terms, he didn't have any dudes. Um, maybe Starbridge was a dude. Crawford was a dude, but that's pretty much it. Um, I think with Hubert Davis, he has dudes like he has plenty of them. He has a lot more talent um, overall than Mac Brown did when he came in. And basketball is such a sport that, I mean, you can take one guy and put him on a team and you can change everything and win a ton of games. Um, and it's, it's similar with, with Sam Howell, but I just think it's a little bit different. And that Hubert Davis, his job, I don't want to say easier. But his rebuild can happen quicker because of the portal, um, because of the talent that Roy Williams left over. I mean, again, not to rehash all of our talk, you know, talking points before the season, but Armando Bickup was an All-American. Caleb Love was an All-American. R.J. Davis was a McDonald's All-American. Dawson Garcia was a McDonald's All-American. Linky Black was a top 100 player. Uh, uh, who am I forgetting? Kerwin Walton was a top 100 player. So, like, there's a ton of talent. Basketball, you didn't even mention Brady there. I didn't even mention Brady Manick, a four-year starter at a Power Five school. So, and um, you didn't I, mention Licky Black. I didn't mention Licky Black, another top 100 player. So it, it's a little different. I think Hubert has more talent, and so I don't want to say his job is easier. Um, it is easier. He, he just okay. Go, ahead. Say, Go ahead. It's Go ahead. <laughs> it, it is easier.
4: I mean, it's it's like saying it's. Well, I don't want to say it's easier to you know to win in football at Alabama than it is in basketball. Like yeah, it's it's a lot easier to win in Al- win in football at Alabama. Because it's Alabama and this is North Carolina, right? I mean, you're supposed to win in basketball at North Carolina. Like that, there are, how many, how many jobs in, in college football are comparable to what North Carolina is in basketball or how many jobs in college basketball are, you know, can you win as easily as you can as at North, North Carolina?
0: Go Greg, it's maybe
3: three even. in football. Maybe, and I'm only—I'm just thinking Bama, Georgia, and Ohio State.
2: And I'm is not it, sure, George. Man, I, I it, would just say Ohio, just Ohio State. I, I mean, yeah, what was Alabama from from '95 until yeah, that's 2009? fair. I, I'm using I mean, without saying Alabama,
4: there. Alabama is another SEC West team. It's a really good right. program with a lot of history and all of that. But I mean. It's North Carolina basketball, y'all. Talking about practice. <laughs> so Greg, Greg, is hmm. it
0: easier or, or, or what? What do you think?
1: Is it is it easier? What do you mean? Well, is it easier, it easier than the Mac, Mac, Mac Hubert
0: comparison first season uh, that I brought up?
1: So what I was gonna I was gonna respond to that was sitting there where media sitting is now in the upper deck. Um, I was there for Roy's first game. Against guess old dominion in, in November of 2003 sitting just across the way. Um, and I really, you, it's equivalent for me when Roy came back versus Mac, because they were already hall of fame coaches. They were already the best in the business or one of the best in the business. There was never concern with Roy, nor was there concern with Mac that they know what they're doing and that if you give them time, they're going to get North Carolina back to an upper crust level. And so I think with Hubert, while, while a lot of the diehards have really uh, embraced Hubert, I've talked to a lot of people over the last seven months who are kind of like, was that the right decision? Was that really the move they should have made? What about Wes? What about some of these other guys they could have gotten at a national level? Um, so if we're just talking talent, yeah, it's going to be easier for Hubert for a lot of the reasons that, that Jason stated. Um, we just don't know about the coaching acumen. Um, and so you've got Roy, you've got Mac, who I always kind of considered on you know, even playing fields. But Hubert's going to have to prove it. And so I, I, I think while there are a lot of people who think he can, he's going to have to prove to a lot of people around the country that he actually can. Because we've never seen it before. And so to me, there's a distinction there.
3: So is it like Hubert and Jay Bateman coming to the power five level then? Is that a better, is that a better comparison? Because oh, Greg, God. you like to break, you like to bring up that we, these defenses have never seen Jay or these offenses have never seen Jay Bateman's defenses at the power five level. No one's ever seen Hubert other than JV coaches. No one's ever seen Hubert Davis's coaching adjustments.
1: It's uh it's, is that a animal. better comparison? Uh, no, it's a different animal. Um <laughs> Wow. Wow. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that, Gregory.
3: We'll, oh, let, Tommy, we'll, we'll let Tommy talk about Johnny T-shirt. While let me talk about Johnny T-shirt
0: while Greg gets it together. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Greg Barnes speechless. I've never gotten him like that. I'm proud of myself. I know, really. He is a <laughs> the, the young man is moving up in the world. Johnny T-shirt, T-shirt.com sponsors this podcast. Friends of Inside Carolina. Basketball time is here. You can get your jerseys there. You can get all your basketball gear. Um, you can get football gear still, and you can get cold weather gear that you're going to need when Carolina's in town against Wofford on the football field and also in Raleigh at NC State. Get plenty of cold weather gear, tailgating gear still a thing, home stuff, whatever you need for your man cave. You can get it from Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com, of course, inside Carolina premium subscribers. Get that 10% off your everyday order, and go visit them. I'll be in Chapel Hill tomorrow to see my boy. Um, To do a pregame inside Carolina live show, I'm going to swing by Johnny T-shirt and see if they've got any cool swag that I need to add to the room here. National guys are going to pay the bills. Before I forget, rate us, review us, subscribe to this YouTube channel. You get these notices um, when we go live. We could go live at any time, but this On the Beat podcast will be at its normal time next week and then in basketball season on Thursday nights national guys bills will be back with the game plan portion of this podcast i'm tommy ashley those are the guys we'll be right back
5: hey guys this is ross martin from inside carolina i want to talk to you about inside carolina's new podcast sponsor it's blue shark vodka blue shark vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of wilmington and wrightsville north carolina it's available in all 100 counties and the thing about blue shark vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awaking flavor. Each batch is in triple filtered, giving it a smooth, clean finish and eliminates any of the alcohol bite. Guys, I've been using it recently with some soda water, fruit juice, little lime juice. It's great for tailgates. It's light, it's smooth, and it's an award-winning premium vodka from North Carolina, local and family owned, and it's available once again in all 100 counties. So head to your local ABC store to check out Blue Shark Vodka.
0: Boys, we're back. It's the game plan podcast now. I feel like I'm doing the Yellowstone thing, the Yellowstone preview where they had an episode, then they had commercials, and then they had another episode. We're doing the same thing, we're keeping it rolling. Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, Jason Staples, and Cheryl McMillan is the guest on the Game Plan Podcast <laughs> right now. We're going to talk about Carolina and Pittsburgh tomorrow night in Hinesfield. Um, Greg, Carolina got a win against Wake Forest. They, Sam Hartman was fantastic. Kenny Pickett is fantastic. But Pittsburgh has got some blemishes where that Wake Forest team did not how does Carolina approach this game on a short week? I said before, and I'll say it again, Larry Fedora was great on, his, on a short week. Mac Brown, how does his crowd get this team ready for tomorrow night's game, which is a quite big game in the ACC?
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I asked Mac about uh, his, his approach to handling the short week when you've got you know, a top-10 team like Wake, and then you've got Pitt, who is a, a key coastal foe. Uh, within five days of one another. And he kind of laid out the approach of they spent a ton of time in the off season, really building a game plan for Pitt. And during the bye week a couple weeks ago, they spent a significant portion of that week as a staff, not as a team, but as a staff, uh, really game planning for what the Panthers want to do on both sides of the ball. And so after Pitt played Duke on Saturday, which that was a noon game, which helped all the staff really had to do was fold in the, whatever they picked up from the Duke game into their plan and they were ready to go. Uh, and so I think the fact yeah, that they were already up there, of course, uh, they, they had standard practice week of, of Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, before uh, walk through and, and heading known up. So uh, I think they've got the plan in place that they want in terms of uh, dealing with the short week. Uh, now, in terms of what Pittsburgh brings, I mean, it's the number one scoring offense in the country. Um, Kenny Pickett has, has played like a Heisman candidate. And we knew that Sam Hartman last year was really good. I mean, we, we saw that in Keenan Stadium. Uh, but I would like to hear Jason's take on Pickett because he was the guy we knew he was solid. He was a good game manager. That was kind of a good tag for him the last couple of years. But he has just emerged as this accurate, um, you know, not, not quite like Sam in terms of mobility, but he can move around, make things happen. He's got some good receivers. His development this past year has just been incredible. I know he's twenty seven, whatever, whatever he is, um, but just really impressed with what he's done. And uh, Jason, what, what do you think about the, the growth that he's made over the last year?
4: Well, I mean, like you said, he's he has gone from a a good quarterback, a guy that you know you could that most teams would trade for, you know, a guy that that's a, a solid player to an elite quarterback. I mean, you're talking about a guy that, like you said, he's been ridiculously accurate and he's been able to make plays on the move and all sorts of things that you just kind of go, wow. Like it's not just within the confines of the, or within the the limitations of the offense, but he's making plays off book and he's made them so much better. I think a lot of that, um, that development is due to him getting healthy. Because I mean, I think this is his first healthy season there. I mean, he's he's been through he's been through it in terms of injuries and he's always flashed. I mean, since he was a true freshman, I mean, back when he when he first started playing as a freshman, it's like, yeah, that guy's that guy's got a got some potential. Like he he can locate the ball. He's got, you know, he's got the traits and tools as a thrower. He was just never healthy long enough for you to really see him in a position where he was comfortable. And you've seen him in his comfort zone pretty much the whole year this year and he's also you know improved as you would hope a guy would in terms of development and he knows that offense really well and they've done a good job of building around him so now you that's what you get you get you combine that with a with an easier schedule which they've had so far this year for the most part Uh, uh, you combine that and you get the number one scoring offense in the country overall so uh, and it's largely built on him dropping back and just slinging it around uh they, they this is not a team that that uh lines up to run it first they line up and kenny pickett is their primary offense and he has been a pretty dang good offense so far this year
0: uh 68 69 percent 3171 yards 29 three interception to or turn a uh, td to interception ratio um, he can run it a little bit. Jason, let me ask you this question. We've talked about Pitt a lot over the years. How much does Pickett change the game plan for the defense, for Carolina's defense? Because it, you have a plan of attack against Narduzzi's offense. What does Pickett do to change your plan of attack going up against them? Because, like you said, he he's elite. And to Greg's point, he's been there forever. Um, but he's not one of those guys that's just sat on the couch and gotten old. He's gotten really, really good um, in his time there.
4: Yeah. You know, I think, I don't know that you have to, that that you necessarily change what you're doing if you're Jay Bateman for him, but you, you are a bit more cautious about a guy like that, who can burn you. Uh, You know, there's, you have, you have to, if anything, you have to be a little, you have to be more cautious and you try to mix things a little bit more because it, you know veteran guys, especially a guy like Pickett, who's been around the block and seen quite a lot. If you keep showing them the same look and doing the same thing on that same look every time, they're going to find ways to, to cut you up. They will cut you because they're going to they're gonna see it. And then the next time they're going to be just a little quicker processing it. So you have to, you have to do some things after the snap with some of these older guys. And I would say that's true about Sam Howell too. You want to move, move some things around. Once the ball gets snapped, you want, you know, you want to show this shell and then, you know, maybe two out of every three times it's this, but that third time you better, you better change it. You better move it because that guy's going to find ways to, Oh, okay. You did that the last time. All right. Well, here you go. And, you know, veteran quarterbacks find ways to do that to you. And so you have to, you have to be a little bit more uh, careful not to repeat yourself too much as a defensive coordinator as well. Now, of course, the exception to that is if you can just line up and lock, lock the entire team down and man free, and there's just no space to throw it and you can get pressure out of that same look. OK, well, at that point, all bets are off, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter. He's going to be running for his life and there's going to be nobody open. Well, if you can do that, then do that. But other than that, you better you better change some things up here and there, and present some different looks, and make sure that you're that you are uh, bringing pressure from different angles, and and doing a few things just to get him bothered a little bit. You have to find ways to get him a little bit uncomfortable, because if if he's comfortable, your your defense is certainly not going to look very comfortable. So, I think that's the biggest thing that that he changes for you is you have to be. If anything, more self conscious, careful to self scout on that on that side of things as a defense.
3: Jason, I wanted to ask you this. I was looking, I was putting together the matchups to watch article through Pro Football Focus that I do every week, and obviously Jordan Addison jumps out on the page there as far as his, I mean, him being Kenny Pickett's number one target. Seventy one percent of his snaps are out of the slot, um, and that's kind of been even when looking at a a lot of these matchups for different weeks to week, the best receiver on teams has kind of been in the slot. So I've always looked at, or specifically Josh Downs, right? And I always look at how teams are going to defend Josh. And they usually have a guy that is a free safety or something that primarily covers the slot or they have a slot corner. But when I was flipping it and looking to see who UNC typically uses to cover slot guys, it's was it's kind of a multitude of guys. I mean, Geo Biggers, Conley, Trey Morrison, all have similar snap numbers, and then Don Chapman, who is out for the season with a knee injury now, was kind of that like that corner who came in to cover the slot. So you mentioned mixing it up. How do you think Jay Bateman approaches um, taking Kenny Pickett's number one option out
0: of the equation? You're muted, Jason. You did. I can't believe we get to say that.
4: In a long time. Um, But that's a really good question. Um, And and it's, it's an even tougher question to answer now that you've got a healthy Storm Duck out there. Because Duck really changes what you can do defensively in a lot of ways. And you saw that in the fourth quarter against Wake Forest. Wake Forest tried to take advantage of some things that they were able to do earlier in the game when duck was not on the field with him on the field and they couldn't do it. Uh, so what, what duck does, and if he can play basically the entire game, which he, he showed he can play a bunch of, a bunch of reps against uh, against wake. If he's in position and, and healthy and, and feels good about playing a bunch of reps, then, you know, it gets interesting on what you might want to do in a week like this with where their best receiver is a guy that tends to be in the slot. Do you move one of your outside corners like a Grimes inside to, you know, to work with him and then have McMichael on the outside? Do you do that? I would consider it, but it depends on how much you've actually rep those guys in the slot in practice, right? That's the thing. You can't just move guys and go, well, I'm going to, you know, it's NCAA football or Madden. And here we go. I'm going to go ahead and move this guy to this position. And now I got a 99 at that position. Ha. You can't, you know, you can't win there. Well, you know, it's not quite so simple. You got to play that position, but you know, that's the sort of thing that, that going into the year, they were hoping to have the flexibility to be able to do is to use some different guys in that slot role. Don Chapman, uh, Don Chapman being the pr- the primary, right. He was the guy that they were really hoping to be able to use there. 145 that 145 snaps. Right.
3: He's played at that position covering the slot.
4: Yeah. Yeah. That option's off the table now. So, you know, you wonder, I, I, you know, like I said, the short answer to this is I don't know, but in terms of how I would think about it, I would be, I would be considering what, you know, one of my, moving my best option from the outside, which is probably Grimes in terms of, uh, in terms of traits, his ability to, to, to turn and run and do some things there. If I'm going to play some, some more man type stuff, that's, that's one of the things I consider, but again, considering they've not been healthy at corner and those guys have probably not repped much on the inside that might be lower on the on the options list for for them practically speaking once you get past that then you know you you look at a guy like uh like trey morrison as a a guy who really he started his career as a slot corner so you know do you put him in there and athletically in terms of his overall profile you know he matches up okay there maybe better than some of the others uh, you know, you've got Conley that has been playing a bunch of nickel. You've got, you know, a, a variety of different options, none of which you're really excited about. <laughs> so, what you probably end up doing is is a mix, and you you end up doing a lot less true man in those in those situations. And you start and one of the things that I think the presence of Duck allows you to do is to bracket the slot, so that you're not just covering the slot with one guy. And I think so bringing this around to what I think they actually are most likely to do is they're more likely to employ some bracket type coverages where they're going to favor Addison's side with the safety and basically play it so that the safety and the underneath coverage are working together and they're bracketing him uh, so that he, so that Pickett has to make more plays outside and they'll use those outside coverages in more single coverage because duck can do it and grimes can do it so i think that's what you do is you try to take away their best guy with a couple of your guys in that regard and then force force them to beat your two best guys on the outside one-on-one and you know that's where if they beat them you tip your cap and you move on so that's probably what i would do given the personnel situation but like i said it's not It's not as ideal as if you have an elite slot corner that you can just say, you know, go out there and get him. I will say, by the way, and this is something I wanted to bring up this year in deep passing. So this is uh, this is ball. The ball travels more than 20 yards downfield. Pro football focus has uh, adjusted completion percentage and overall rating for quarterbacks on just deep passes this year. Number two is Sam Hartman. Adjusted completion percentage on deep passes of 60.3%. Wow. So he's completing 60% of the passes that he throws that travel more than 20 yards downfield. And he has he's also second with a 96.5 overall. Well, actually, that's not quite second. Uh, the, the ratings are slightly out of order. I think that's third. 96.5 overall passer rating. They're, they're you know, grading on those, those throws. Number one is Kenny Pickett at 62.5% on passes that travel more than 20 yards downfield and a 97 grade on those passes, 12 touchdowns, two interceptions on those deep passes. Now, for what it's worth, Sam Howell this year is 48th in the country at 33.3% and a grade of 71.6%. And if those of you are out there are going, wait a second, I thought Howell was a really, you know, was one his deep ball was one of his best uh, traits. His ability to throw downfield was one of his best traits. That's true. Last year, Sam Howell had a grade on deep throws of 98 and completed 53.3%. So that tells you the difference between how last year and this year, with the different cast of receivers and so on that he had last year. But keep in mind, those numbers for Howell are still a good bit behind the numbers that Pickett has put up this year, which tells you how dang efficient he has been when he's actually throwing down the field.
3: And you know what Hartman's adjusted completion percentage on 20 plus yards down the field was against North Carolina last week?
4: <laughs> I Eight <do>. for 12. <laughs>
3: It For was 243 with five touchdowns. Yeah. So you're saying there's a chance. Look, and the they're getting a pick- better, a better person
0: at it on Thursday.
4: That <laughs> is getting absolutely shelled.
0: Well, Forched. one thing that I noticed, or one thing that was pretty clear is Hartman had all day to have a snack, eat his lunch. And still get the ball out uh, against Carolina last week in Kenan Stadium. One thing about Pickett is Addison's the guy for them. They've got, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, six? They've got nine guys with at least 13 catches and another one with nine catches. You know how many Carolina has in double figures with catches? Three. They've got five I was touchdowns, leads away with 74. Uh, and well, I take that back. One of them's not on the team anymore. So Carolina has got four guys on there the team with young. more than 10 catches. And so Addison's the key, but he is not the one that, uh, if you key on him, they've got other guys that'll beat you. Sherelle, oh I'm yeah. On the
4: Pickett t- spreads it around. He's real generous now. Yeah. It, he needs for Carolina to have some
0: success. He needs to be generous, uh, throwing it to the wrong color. Jersey. Sherell get in here. Ask a question.
2: So, Greg, uh, I'm curious your thoughts on this, because in basketball, a huge deal is the Saturday, Monday turnaround and how there's no time to prepare, especially if you're you got a a huge game against NC State on Saturday and then you've got to prepare for the Syracuse zone on Monday. Um, What's it like for UNC? What's the big challenge in having a game against the Coastal Division foe five days after a huge win like they had on Saturday?
1: Well, I think the fact that there was 169 snaps played on Saturday is probably the, the biggest part of it. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the coaching staff really utilized the bye week to get the scheme in place. So it's not like after you know, the game Saturday, they're like, okay, this is our first time looking at Pitt. Let's really kind of dive into it. They pretty much knew what they wanted to do. They added in a little bit more detail. Um, but you know, Wake Forest, because the offense that they have, uh, it was an up-and-down game. Carolina's guys are tired and typically you have a Sunday where you go and you, you do film work, you go through the corrections. It's not very taxing. There's a lot of recovery involved. Then North Carolina has Monday off and then you get back into your standard week on Tuesday. North Carolina didn't have either the standard Sunday or Monday, but got back to work on Sunday. Um, and so, yeah, you go a little bit lighter on the guys because you have to get them, uh, you warmed up a little bit without stressing them too much. I think that's the biggest challenge: is, is making sure that the guys are, you, in terms of nutrition or where they're supposed to be. They're getting the rest. You're not taxing them with with your workouts. All those kind of things. And uh, I, yeah, these guys are, are 18, 19, 20 years old, but that's still a very quick turnaround from a high profile game. Pittsburgh. If you look at what they did against Duke, they sat a lot of their key guys early in the second half. And that, that's a benefit that the North Carolina did not, was not able to enjoy against
4: Wake. And when you ran- also get closer to a, a regular week, when you're at home on those short weeks, Sure, the travel really makes a difference.
2: Wake ran like 90 plays, right? 90. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: If you listen to Josh Pate's uh, podcast, he talks about the sec and being in the sec and how you have to go up against that sec defense, for however many plays, and then turn around and do it again. And, uh, and here Carolina is on a short week, while Pitt had a virtual bye last week against Duke, and they're at home. Uh, who because has the more... SEC means more, Tommy. It just means more. Who has no, more no, rushing?
4: That said, I would rather do this the direction that they did and play Wake than Pitt than vice versa because of how different Wake's offense is. So you know, so, going do you you face team more teams that do a lot of the things that Wake does, and actually in the passing game, there's some sim, Wake does some very similar things to what to what uh, Pitt does, but you've seen more teams that are similar to what Pitt does offensively than you know the some of the funky stuff that Wake will throw at you and that you have to get used to. So that that actually is helpful in in the preparation process is that you're. Seeing something a little closer to normal.
3: Yeah, I'll throw this out here since someone's asking this as far as rotation of guys because of how many snaps were played um, last week. What's what? What's that look like? Is there more rotating on offense? Obviously, someone mentioned that Jeremiah Gimmel got plenty of rest um, on Saturday, so his rest won't be an issue. But what is the what do the rotations look like? Because, I mean, there really hasn't been – I mean, Greg, you asked Jay Bateman a couple of weeks ago about substituting and whatnot. There really hasn't been a whole lot. did he lot. say? But he said that they were doing exactly what they wanted to do, right?
1: Right, and the guys were getting the reps they, they needed to get.
3: Yeah. Which I think so what, volumes. With the short week and they're traveled today um, rather than traveling on Friday, I mean, right? So it's just like what does that look like on both sides of the ball, offense, offensively and defensively?
2: And let, let me add to I want to ask Jason, they only played four wide receivers last weekend. I imagine that's super taxing running all those routes for only four wide receivers when Carolina had 70, 80 plays itself. Hey,
1: Ralph, Jason will go after this podcast and run sprints in his driveway. It's no big deal to wide receivers.
2: Yeah, he
0: got here late one time, Sherelle, and I shamed him. And next thing we know, we're getting a video of the dude running <laughs> sprints in his driveway. I don't know who's trying to impress. Um, I was kind of in, I, lo- I
4: was impressed. I, I was going to say,
0: I was impressed, but
4: uh, <laughs> I, you know. I went, I went out and I ran a bunch of 300s
0: <laughs> in the pennants. let It looked like it was running 10 yard sprints. Come on, man. <laughs> let me, let, let's sort of, let me ask y'all a trivia question without looking. I just made the 300 look like it was 10. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, who has more rushing yards, gross rushing yards, Sam Howell or Ty Chandler? Don't look at it, Greg. I see you eyeballing your new computer. Who on has year?
4: more
0: gr- gross rushing yards?
4: So, is that sack, sack yardage included? Gross means oh, on Thursday. No, Just
0: I'm talking Thursday. about right now, right now, oh. going into this game. Who ha- Sam Howell has 916 yards rushing. Ty Chandler has nine oh six. You throw in the sack yardages and losses, of course, it shakes out. So my question, Greg and Jason, let's get into the actual game plan portion, is how does Carolina's offense approach this game? I know last year and the year before and the year before that, it was just drop back and throw it deep over the top of the quarters that Sherelle wants to hear you all talk about. Greg, what changes here for Carolina?
1: So – Let's see. People have given me grief for, for being complimentary of, of Bronco Mendenhall this year and of Dave Clawson, and it's about to be Pat Narduzzi because I am a defensive guy at heart. Um, and I think, I think the way that he approaches defense uh, makes a lot of sense. Now, he'd be the first to tell you that what, what worked for him at Michigan State a decade ago um, doesn't work as well now because the game has changed a bit, and it it makes it challenging. And it's also harder to do that in the ACC. Correct, for sure, absolutely. Um, But it's a a unique system in that uh, he's going to do everything that he can to take away the run, and he's also going to put pressure on quarterbacks. So he's he's willing to use his base quarters coverage, which Jason can dive into. Um, But basically, it's a test of – Can you protect your quarterback long enough to give him opportunities to throw down the field and pick apart the quarter's coverage? Uh, Narduzzi had a quote earlier this week that I I just found fascinating. Pitt leads the ACC in rushing yards per play allowed, 3.2, which is pretty solid. And they're second in the league in sacks, 31, which kind of speaks to what I was just talking about. But how's this for a quote? Somebody asked him about how do you approach Sam Howe? He can run. He's a good thrower. He says, I think you've got to go get him. You've got to go get him. (laughs) If you miss, then the next wave of players has to go get him. You have to. If you don't go get him, he'll sit in the pocket all day and pick you apart. He can make every throw in the field. you got to go get him. There is no other choice. And I think a lot of people probably listening to this that are Carolina fans are saying, amen, why isn't North Carolina doing that? Um, So, Jason, why isn't North Carolina doing that? And explain the quarter's coverage.
4: <laughs> so I got three things I want to cover now. And you have first two all, minutes. <laughs> first of all, first of all, Rael, you are right that the, that the four wide receivers there—they better have had a very light week this week. You need all the other guys to be running a lot of a lot more routes this week, just so that you have legs. Uh, receivers, you know, like we like to say, we can run all day. But you know, you go back actually. Again, I'm going to call back to my uh, glorious uh, past here. You go back to uh, the Florida State-Oklahoma game, the 2001 Orange Bowl, when Florida State uh, went and, and lost, what was it, 13-2. Uh, to two. Two. Yeah. That was a, an awesome Florida State offense all year. But then they lost Snoop Minnis, their, uh, their, their leading receiver for that, uh, that, that bowl prep. And there was one other guy hurt, I think. And they basically went through bowl prep with about five guys. at at receiver and those guys ran they they, uh i remember them them complaining because they ran every route in practice and they were just getting the wheels run off them and they were complaining to the coaches saying guys you got to step it off us a little bit here and uh the one guy who hadn't really been practicing much because he'd been he'd been hurt was anquan bolden and then you know he was able to get in like the last week and then practiced right up to that. He was the only receiver who did anything in that game. And I'm, those guys got back and they were like, look, we got out there for, for, for the game and none of us could run. We were all just, we were all just dead legged." So that's what you're concerned about with only four receivers. Other than that, offensively, I don't think it makes a difference. All that big a difference, the, the big turnaround. Offensively, it's not as big a deal. Defensively, I think it's a huge deal for somebody like Miles Murphy who played 52 snaps, I think. Uh, yeah, you look at 52 snaps for Murphy. You look at, uh, 66 snaps for Taman Fox. You, you look at, uh, you know, some of those guys, those are the guys that I would be most concerned about 60 snaps for, for, for It's the guys on your defensive line that are going to be the most impacted defensive line and your corner secondary are going to be the most impacted on that quick turnaround. Now moving to the next thing, uh, getting to Greg's thing, uh, why doesn't North Carolina do more of the go get them kind of approach? I think one is uh, that's, a, that's sort of a double-edge. You have to – and, and, you know, you can go back to the early results when Marduzzi first got to pit When he did this, they were giving up 60 at times. You know, they are giving up and, – and not because their offense was scoring a bunch and they were getting into shootouts. They were just getting shelled because they couldn't cover and they couldn't handle the business behind it well enough. And you got to give Narduzzi and also the pit, the the pit brass in the, in the uh, athletic department credit for identifying that they just needed to recruit to the system. And that eventually this is going to, this is, this is just who they're going to be. This is going to be their identity. And eventually they got there, but they still give up against better teams. They still give up some of those deep, you know, a a lot more of those deep things than, than some other teams, some of it has just to do with your, with your tolerance for the, you know, hang loose. One of us is fixed into score kind of approach, <laughs> right? You know, either the defense is going to make a play or you're going to score a touchdown. Well, there's, there's some guys have a little less tolerance for that. And I think Mac uh, that's not what Mac wants to do in particular. And Bateman might be inclined to, uh, to, to blitz more and to pressure more, in certain respects but i think he'd prefer to do that when he feels really good about his about a secondary that okay i can i can single cover you or i can run quarters and not get not get killed and i I mean i remember talking to a to a member of the coaching staff this was last last year uh i'd asked him about uh one of the uh one, one of the plays that they were in i was like you know was this a blown coverage because of this or whatever you know it's no, 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 no. That was this. You, you actually, you know, you, you saw that right. We wouldn't be in quarters there, which is what the, the play-by-play guy had identified. The play-by-play guy had thought that, uh, that, that North Carolina was in quarters. They weren't. And I was like, I, I didn't see this as quarters. Was that just a bust? Yeah, that was a bust. We can't play quarters right now because if we did, we give, right? yeah. yeah, give up a hundred. That's a hundred points. There's your answer. Yeah. Yeah. We give up a hundred, like <laughs> basically we give up a hundred points because you better, be, you better have the dudes to be able to cover at all four spots in your secondary to be able to run it and to be able to bring the pressure like what Narduzzi does and focus on that and say, we're going to make you one-dimensional. Well, that's great if you make them one-dimensional if they can't just throw it over the top and complete you know 80% of their passes. Now, of course, the response from the fans is going to be, isn't that what? Just happened last week that they completed close to eighty percent of their passes anyway. So, I mean, what what are you going to lose? Uh, so, and and I think that there is an argument to be made that they could uh, be a little more aggressive in how they employ their defensive line. It's not so much about the back end scheme to me. It's about uh, letting their defensive line loose a little bit more with, you know, maybe one more rush, true rush guy out there more often, but. Right now, in terms of of their approach, they're trying to focus on stopping the run rather than pressuring the passer as much in order to get to those long yardage downs so that they can pressure the passer. It's all a trade-off when you don't have the personnel to really do exactly what you want to do. I think long-term, Bateman would like to be a guy that brings five, six guys almost every play from different angles and be able to single cover behind that, but you'd better have the dudes to be able to do that. Uh, so that that's that answer. And then, as far as the quarters, the reason that this is so difficult is in quarters coverage, you have two safeties. That it's it looks like a cover two, right? Where you've got in a cover two two coverage, and really in in football, you have three different ways of of handling your safeties. You can either have a single safety deep who's responsible for essentially the middle of the field, and usually in that case. You're playing some version of a cover three, practically speaking, whether it's a man underneath or whatever. That safety is not going to be able to get to the sideline. So essentially, you're going to have to have your corners that are going to handle the deep stuff on the outside. That's either by running with a guy that they're man to man on one on one with, or they're starting back there and they're just playing a true cover three and they're just going to play over the top. One of those is going to be the case when you have a single safety in the middle of the field. The alternative is a middle-of-the-field open coverage where you have two families of that. You've got cover two and cover four. Cover two, each of those safeties basically lines up on the hash about 12 yards deep, and then they get depth at the the snap, and they don't really have a whole lot of run responsibility. They're just playing deeper than the deepest, and each of them has half the field in coverage. They split it at the middle of the field, and each of them has half of it. Quarters is a little different because quarters – you have your safeties moved up a little bit, usually between eight and 10 yards off the ball, which is a little closer, right? You're you know two to four yards closer to the line of scrimmage. And then your corners, you can either do press, which is what Narduzzi likes to do with it. Or a lot of times you'll have those corners on the same level as those safeties. And the difference with cover two and cover four is while those two safeties in cover two are each covering half the field And then you have those corners that are basically taking the flat and they've got some run responsibility there in quarters. The corners are going to run with anything deep to the outside, just like cover three, but the safeties also have anything that's going to go vertical to the middle or in the, in the inside portion. So if the slot receiver goes on a deep route, the safety has him, he picks him up and it becomes essentially a one-on-one situation now, the, the, what makes this so difficult for a quarter's team is on the outside, if you have a receiver run a deep route, generally speaking, he has one way to go, vertical, <laughs> right? Because if he's going to go inside, he's going to be picked up by the help inside, right? With the safety, if you're a quarter safety, you have what in football is called a two-way go. That receiver can come can be coming straight at you. And then he can break a little bit to the inside or he can break to the outside. And as long as he's not breaking all the way to the outside to the corner or all the way to the other safety, you got him going both ways. So you better be really, really good coverage-wise and you better be able to run at that safety position or you're just going to get really fast slots that are going to run right by you. And of course, that's been the history of what North Carolina has done with Pitt since the Larry Fedora days, I mean, basically when Ryan's- whenever they whenever they played Pitt and Narduzzi, it was they they started licking their chops because they knew that there was going to be a deep post that would go for a score, probably two of them. Uh, you know that there would be uh, that the slot receivers would have a big day because they would just eat those cor- those uh, safeties alive in, in single coverage, and you know they 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 ate and they had a lot of they've had a lot of success historically against Pitt. Now, Pitt's gotten better in terms of their personnel for their system, in terms of those safeties being able to cover. There's still safeties, though. They're still not corners. And so you still can take advantage of that, but they've gotten better across the board as a a program to where now essentially the, the difficulty, and it's gotten more difficult seemingly every year, although I think they've taken a step back defensively this year compared to last year. Essentially, what's happened is it's become a race can my guy beat their safety before their defensive end hits my quarterback, <laughs> which is, I mean, look, if I'm going to put my cards on the table, that's my style of football. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm, I came up on the Mickey Andrews, you know, let's play jet robber and let's see how many times we can, you know, make snot come out of Danny Werfel's nose uh, before, before he gets that ball out. Um, or maybe just a little after <laughs> too, um, you know, that kind of defense is, you know, that, that aggressive approach. I love it. But if you've got a line that can protect a little bit and you've got s- slots that can make plays now it's touch and go. I mean, do you want to do you want a single cover? Uh, do you want a safety single covering Josh downs on anything deep? Negatory. I'm going with a strong negative on that. And so what that means is if you're pit, you're either going to have to significantly change what your bread and butter is there. And you're going to have to bracket him and do some other things to try to, to try to cause some problems there. Or you're just going to roll those dice and say, we don't think Josh Downs can beat our safety one-on-one before Sam Howell gets hit. You want to roll that dice or those dice? So, to to add some perspective
1: here, in 2019, Daz Newsom, who played in the slot, had 11 catches for 170 yards and a touchdown guess <laughs> Pitt.
0: Yep. And, you know, Carolina struggled in that game ultimately, but Ryan Switzer, like you mentioned when Jason was talking, Greg had field days at Pitt and did that. So, um, the question is, guys, and we've been going about an hour and a half on this – combo on the beat live game plan podcast let's get let's get to the brass tacks what happens Sherelle's already chimed in sherell had to go he's got babies so we let him dip out early sherell comes in at 38 30 pit i like how he picks pit and then disconnects immediately i'm under 73 and a half greg i'll let you start well how does this game shake out it's another well, night game in prime time for mac brown and his team
1: yeah, Carolina's one and seven in, in night games since two thousand nineteen, which is uh, not very good. Is that um, home? Anna, is that
0: home and away, or just on just away?
1: Road, just on the road. Yeah.
0: Okay. And nine and zero oh in nooners.
1: Right. Um, you know, last week against Wake, we really laid it out. Of as North Carolina's offense is very similar to Wake's offense in terms of efficiency and scoring. The defenses were very similar as well. The difference in these two teams was the fact that that wake uh, had been very optimistic when it comes to turnovers. They had not lost turnover battle. What happened Saturday, North Carolina won the turnover battle. North Carolina got off the field six times. Wake got off the field five times. And that's the only reason why North Carolina won that game. Uh, it's not the same case on Thursday night. Uh, Pittsburgh is a better team defensively. Uh, they have a, a you know, equally elite quarterback, and with it being on the road and with North Carolina having played such a difficult game on Saturday, uh, I, I don't see North Carolina winning this one. So I've got Pittsburgh winning this one
0: 41-28. You said you had some stats you wanted to throw out. Is this yeah, appropriate?
1: Uh, let's do this after the guys give their score. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jason, a uh, couple questions have come in while uh, Greg was talking, while we're talking. While you're doing your predictions, also answer the question, can the defense take a step forward with Duck in his second game? Go. Yeah. Game actually, actually,
4: the, the presence of Storm Duck and what he does for this defense is the reason that I've been really, really debating whether or not to pick North Carolina in this game. Because I think he makes a huge difference for this defense, and especially against a team that can throw the ball around as well as Pitt does. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think he basically limits what Pickett's going to do. I mean, Pickett is going to end up doing a lot more of his damage on the inside than the outside, because I think the, the Carolina corners are going are to basically win their matchups on the outside. So And, and I'm, I wouldn't necessarily be all that confident about that if, if Duck weren't playing. But with Duck out there, I think that makes a huge difference. Um, all that said, I'm, I'm kind of with Greg here in terms of I've gone back and forth over and over again about this. And I think Carolina has a better shot to win than most people realize just because of, again, this defense with Duck I think is a lot better than without. And so I think the defense will be, will be better, and they're going to put themselves in position to, to win this game. But again, the problem is the short week on the road after a 90-play outing for the defense last week, I just think all of that is probably going to be too much. And so the, I, I end up defaulting to you know, what are the odds when you look at those factors on top of everything else. I think this is going to be a really close game. I think it's going to be an entertaining game for those who you know don't have necessarily the uh, a, a really vested interest in it and aren't wearing their emotions on their sleeves. This is going to be a good game to watch. Uh, but ultimately, I think this is going to be a game that, that probably turns on some of those factors of fatigue and just not quite being there on uh, in terms of not quite taking quite enough of a step on North Carolina's side. I'm gonna go with uh with Pitt thirty-eight, North Carolina thirty-seven in this game.
0: That's pretty similar to the uh to the comeback in Keenan Stadium with Trubisky. Um I'm gonna make a prediction on the game on the Inside Carolina live show, but I do find it interesting that Pitts lost two games at home. They're undefeated on the road. They lost to Miami and western Michigan at home. Both shootouts, um, but they are vulnerable in Heinz Field or at Heinz Field. Gregory, you want to make a prediction? You want to uh, call me on tomorrow and, and make one? Because I'm itching um, to get to these Greg stats. Yeah, I mean, if you want me to call you tomorrow, I can give you if you got
3: room for me in the segment. Because I got a, I got a nice, I got a fire prediction. So we can hold it off until tomorrow if you want.
0: All right, we'll figure it out. I'll text you. Tell you to call me during uh, during the Inside Carolina Live. Greg, close us out with some rando stats. The stat of the day, Greg Barnes.
1: So ESPN G did Biggie an article. stat of the day. ESPN <laughs> did an article on this this guy, um, and so I've kind of jumped into his numbers, and it's just ridiculous. We have to go all the way across the country uh, to San Diego State, which I did not realize is where Brady Hoke is now. Uh, he, he's had a very long and winding career as a, as a coach, but he has a putter, punter by the name of Matt Ariza. Uh, and this kid's got a big leg and he's, he's, he's made three field goals over 50 yards this year, which is pretty stout. However, he's a punter and the numbers that he is putting up this year are incredible. Um, he leads the FBS, uh, with 52 yards per punt which is on track to be the single season NCAA FBS record. He already has 15 punts of 60 plus yards, which is a <laughs> NCAA record. Get a load of these kicks. He said, he's had six punts of at least 70 yards. He's had an 86 yarder, an 81 yarder, a 79 yarder, a 77 yarder, a 75 yarder, and a 72 yarder.
4: Their offense must be terrible because they're they're really punting from some bad field position. (laughs) Right.
1: And I think he's, he's had like over 20 that have been downed inside the 20. Um, I mean, it is just absolutely phenomenal what this kid is doing. And, uh, he's had 30 punts of over 50 yards. Uh, and the, how's this his six punts of 70 plus yards, of course, is the NCAA record. You know how many was behind him? Only three guys, and uh, the they had two. <laughs> so what this kid is doing is is absolutely phenomenal in terms of. I mean, we're gonna hopefully we're gonna see him in the NFL because that that as Jason said that could be a game changer for some team that's just uh, offensively inept. What, like he oh, Panthers,
3: in
2: um, <laughs> what he
1: did against
3: Hawaii, uh the Panthers rest in peace. What he did against Hawaii. Hawaii had two punt returners. They had one set up at like the 20, at like the 30. And then they had one set up at like the 15 or the 10. And he kicked it over both of their heads. San Diego state was on their own 10 yard line. And it was a 90 yard punt. It was a touchback. It literally went out the back of the other end. I've never seen anything like it. I've it's.
1: You should watch highlights because I was like, this can't be right. Like I figured if you remember, Terrence it is Brown,
3: incredible.
1: Terrence Brown played for, for Butch. And we always joke because he had these long averages, but he kick it like 30 yards and it would hit and would, you know, kick forward like 15 <laughs> yards. Right. This guy is booming it. I mean, he is They're They're sky kicks, but they're going a, a country miles. So that's, that's wow. Wild.
4: So I got a stat for you, Tommy. All right. So, uh, when you when you uh, when you look at Pitt, Pitt is one of the top teams in the country in big plays, right? Against the FBS competition, Pittsburgh is third in the country, tied for third in the country in plays over twenty yards with fifty-eight. North Carolina, by the way, is fifth in the country with fifty-six. Here's the interesting thing: when you go to plays of thirty yards or more, Pitt goes from third in the country to 61st in the country with 17 plays of 30 yards or more. Wake Forest, on the other hand, is only, let's see, Wake Forest is 13th in 20-plus-yard plays, but Wake Forest jumps to second in 30-plus-yard plays with thirty with 32. And you know who number one is? With 33 plays over 30 yards, North Carolina, North Carolina.
3: I thought that was too obvious of an answer. Look at that.
4: Number one in 30 plus yard plays against FBS competition, North Carolina, number one, Wake Forest, number two, Ohio state, number three. So what's interesting is that that tells you that Pitt is making just a, a ton of plays between 20 and 30 yards but they're not converting they're not running away from defenses all that often to convert those into 30 and 40 and 50 yard plays. So a lot of plays over 20 yards but not very many plays over 30 yards. That's an interesting thing to keep under your hat as you go into this game because you have to wonder, okay, if North Carolina gives up a few of those 20 yarders, are they able to get stops in the red zone or in, you know, once once they've given up a couple of those plays as long as they make those tackles and don't let those turn into 40 or 50-yard plays and touchdowns, are they able to get some stops or maybe force field goals on the other side of the 50? That could be where this game actually is decided and where this game turns.
0: Great stuff. Jason will be joining me, yes, tomorrow on the Inside Carolina Live show, live from the WCHL studios, while Joey Powell and the rest of the Inside crew goes up to Pittsburgh. I've got a stat. Brian Schmitz. 1998 Las Vegas bowl into a 30 mile an hour. win had a 66 yard punt that saved Carolina from giving up some terrible field uh, field position against who Greg
1: was that San Diego state,
0: San Diego state,
1: Ronald Curry. Yeah.
0: Las He's, Vegas. Yeah. Bowl.
1: Brian was in one of my classes that, uh, had Mick Mixon as the teacher. <laughs> Mick Mixon's
3: you know, in guys- one of my big Mixon's
0: band. Their guitarist is one of my dad's best friends. Fun fact. Nice. A, the world is connected. We are all connected, uh, and we're about to disconnect because this has been a long show. We've been on this going on for almost two hours. Greg Barnes and Gregory Hall got early flights tomorrow to head Brutal. up to Pittsburgh. Uh, like I said, I'll be in studio WCHL doing Inside Carolina Live pregame show with Staples. We'll have vipolis We'll have uh, Joey Powell calling in. Greg Barnes, I guess, will call in. Gregory Hollow even call in, and we will talk to all them 4.30, I think, 4.30 to 6.30 tomorrow, WCHL 97.9, streaming it, and then Carolina and Pittsburgh kickoff at 7.30 tomorrow night. Boys, it's always been fun. Johnny T-shirt, shirt.com. rate us, review mm-hmm. and subscribe, and you get to see our pretty faces often. Well, at least a couple of pretty faces. Jason, go get some sprints. We're out of here, boys. Gregory and Greg, safe travels to Pittsburgh. We'll talk to you soon.